I'm going to read from Acts 18, beginning at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. And we're going to jump to verse 18. It's entitled Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. So Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centriae because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Good morning. Thank you, Rachel, for doing that for me. That was wonderful. It's lovely to see you. Good morning. Uh, We are this morning carrying on with our series of being inspired to walk with God. And looking at Priscilla and Aquila this morning. And before I get on to Priscilla and Aquila, I really felt while I was preparing this, the Lord kind of grabbed me with this sense of being inspired. And what got me in the end was when I said, I couldn't work out where I was going with this, but the, the Lord reminded me that the word inspired comes from a Latin phrase, inspirare, which means to breathe into. And it's the same idea that we pick up in Genesis 2.2. Where God takes the stuff of the earth and breathes life into it. It's the same thing we see in John 20, 22, where Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing that we see in Acts 2, 2, where when the Holy Spirit comes, it comes with the sound of a rushing wind. And in both Greek and Hebrew, it's interesting that the word for breath and the word for spirit It's the same word, so it's ruach in Hebrew and it is pneuma in Greek. That idea of breath and spirit coming together. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And that spiritual inspiration is what brings us back to life. 
It's breathing in the things of the Spirit and coming back to life, being made a new creation as we get our lungs filled up. I like walking and I'm really bad at it. Uh, We were in the Lake District a little while ago, and unlike certain people I won't mention, Helen Myers, who are really good at going up hills, I'm not. And we were going up uh, Stickle Gill, uh, heading up the Langdales. It goes car park vertical. So you have no time to get going. And halfway up, I was seeing stars, and it was a case of sit down before you fall down. So I'm sitting here, getting my breath back, taking plenty of time to admire the view from a purely aesthetic point of view. But, you know, we can be like that spiritually. We keep walking and walking and walking, on and on and on. And we've breathed out everything we had inside us spiritually. We just keep going. And in the end, we spiritually start to run out of breath. And in the end, we black out. And this morning, as we gather around the Word of God, as we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, we're looking to be re-inspired, to have that breath of God come back into us that we come back to life. So as we come around the Word of God this morning, let's just open our ears and our eyes and our nostrils and breathe in the stuff of God, Word and Spirit. So Priscilla and Aquila this morning, uh, Acts 18. Thank you so much, Rachel, for reading that. Uh, Acts 18 finds us in the middle of what is called Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, he's gone from Jerusalem. He's, He's gone with Barnabas and Judas and Silas. And they've gone up to Antioch. And they've gone there, which is sort of north. It's kind of the border of Syria and Turkey, modern Turkey. And they've gone there with a letter to help the new Christians up there, those who want to know what observance should they make, what are they required to do to fulfill this new, the demands of this new religion. And they've talked about this at the council. And they've taken this letter. And Paul goes with them with Barnabas, Judas, and Silas, and they they stay there in Antioch for a little while. Then they decide, Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to go back over some of the churches they planted and re-strengthen those churches. Then, because this is church, Paul and Barnabas have an enormous fallout. They have a lovely row, which the Bible is very upfront about. I do appreciate that being in there. And because there's a guy called John Mark who let them down last time, and Paul's not for taking him. Thank you very much. So they split in the end, and Paul and Silas go north and they go up through modern-day Turkey and into Greece, through all sorts of towns and villages which you can read about if you have more time. And eventually they come down through Greece into the foot of Greece, the sort of bumpy bit at the bottom that hangs on the bottom, where Corinth is. So Corinth is a Greek city at the bottom. And there they meet a Jew named Aquila, which is a Roman name. So he has a Roman name, which means eagle. And he's from Pontus, which is in northern Turkey. And his wife Priscilla, or Prisca, Prisca is her proper name, if you like, and Priscilla is a, a familiar term. It's a, it's a kind of a family name type thing. And that's also a Roman name. And we don't know whether Priscilla is, or Prisca, is Roman or, or is Jewish or not. It doesn't actually say. Uh, it wasn't unheard of to have mixed marriages. So they, they might have both been Jews, or maybe he was and she wasn't. And that's just for interest. And they've recently arrived in Corinth from Rome. They've been expelled. The Jews were expelled from Rome by the emperor, who the historian Suetonius tells us that there were riots in Rome, where the Jews were rioting on account of Crestus, it says in, in, in Suetonius. So it sounds as though you had the Christian and non-Christian Jews rowing. And in the end, he was sick of the loss of them and said, get out. Anybody who's vaguely Jewish, clear off. I can't be doing with this. So these two ended up in Corinth. And they settle in Corinth. And they begin to do what they do because they've got to live. And they make tents or they work leather. depends how you read it. But they make tents. And they just start doing what they do. And while they're there, Paul arrives. And they meet him. And they start to work together because Paul is also a tent maker. 
And we don't know whether they become Christians working with Paul. Luke doesn't mention it in Acts, them becoming Christians, which we might expect him perhaps to do if they became Christians as a result of his ministry. So it's possible they were Christians when they left Rome. But either way, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila start to work together and to talk about God together. Paul preaches in the synagogues at the weekends when he isn't making tents. And that's the first thing I really want to say, and we're talking about this in our life groups. We need to be inspired to walk with God whenever we're doing our ordinary stuff. And it doesn't matter what your ordinary stuff is, whether you're running a farm or running a business or running a home or just trying to run after puppies. It doesn't matter what your stuff is, but you are called to serve God and you can be inspired that just the ordinary stuff that you do matters. Okay, that's really important and we are looking at it in the life group. It's really valuable. And Priscilla and Aquila were just getting on with doing their thing. I think this is really important. They didn't arrive in Corinth and say, right, what is our mission for God? They just got on with doing what they do. They make tents, so that's what they did. And God came along and brought them two of the great movers and shakers of the early church while they were just making tents. You know, there is nothing that you can do that doesn't matter. Just do what you do. Don't wait for God to give you a light across the sky. Do what you do. You know, God last told me to do this, so that's what I'm still doing until he tells me something else. That's really, really good theology. Do what you do until God says do something else. And God will use that. And that's really exciting. Also, just to uh, to inspire you, they probably thought it was a disaster when they got thrown out of Rome. No one likes to have soldiers turn up and tell you to get out at the end of a spear. But the truth is, they were just going where God needed them to be, or God used them where he sent them. Depends how you want. I mean, I don't know whether God just deliberately moved them out of Rome. But the reality is, they probably thought, this is a disaster. Oh, no. Our home, our business, our life. But God used them where he sent them. Isn't it great? We're never outside of the will of God, even if we get a bit uncomfy. That's really exciting. So let's be inspired. Let's breathe that one in. Also, just this idea about the background thing. They were background people. They turned up in a new place. Nobody knew who they were. They're making tents. They just turn up and they start doing their thing. They are background people. But because of their involvement with Paul and Apollos and because they got in, in the end got involved in leading churches, they did have impact on the early church. But for most of their life, we know nothing about them. There's very little. When I first started looking at this and thinking, what am I going to say this morning? There's an awful lot of nothing really about these guys. There's a few verses But it's amazing what God does with these little background people who just get on with serving things. And I think it's really important, you know, if you want to be noticed and praised by people, push yourself forward. Make sure your name is mentioned a lot. Wave the flag of the empire of me everywhere you go. But if you want to get noticed and approved of by your heavenly father, just get on with the job God's given you to do. Just get on with that job. Seek to love him and serve him faithfully and honestly. God doesn't need a spotlight to see you. And he doesn't have background workers. There is no background. There is no backstage. There is no back burner in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is more like theater in the round than this. Because wherever you go, if you go to the back of the stage, there he is. You cannot hide and you cannot be pushed aside because the Spirit of God is everywhere and the Lord sees you. When Jesus meets the widow in Luke 21, she's a social nobody. She's a financial nobody. 
But Jesus, who's preaching in the temple, talking to all the bigwigs, his disciples and the Pharisees, he's talking to them about all sorts of really complex issues like resurrection and marriage and the divine nature of Christ and hypocrisy of the clergy. And he suddenly goes, oh, guys, hang on, sorry. Look at that. In this crowded temple, he suddenly says, there is a woman who knows how to please God. Where she puts two little copper coins into the temple treasury. And she catches his eye. Because he sees her. It says in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Sparrows, tuppence, nothing, irrelevant. And yet every single one the Lord sees fall. The Lord's eye is on even the least. Luke 8, the woman who's subject to bleeding for 12 years, who touches the hem of Jesus' garment in a crowd. She reaches out in this crowd as he's going through, just desperate to touch him. And he suddenly says, Hang on, who touched me? And Peter says, Lord, everybody touched you. It's a crowd. Everyone's pressing in. And he said, no, no. Someone touched me. I felt power go out from me. There is no background. There is no hidden. He said to the children, let the little children come to me. He fed a whole bunch of people in front of all the big wigs with a child's lunch. Child, widow, poor, doesn't matter. The Lord doesn't have background people. He just has people. He just has children and all are valuable. And that's so exciting. And that's exactly what we see here with Priscilla and Aquila. And it's very easy to slip into the trap of seeking people's approval, of setting out to please God and to serve God, but just kind of wanting to make sure that everyone knows you are. But, you know, what we're told in Matthew 6 is, If we set out to seek the attention of others while we are apparently setting out to seek the attention of God and to serve him, we've already had our reward in full. And we shouldn't expect God to be impressed. He is looking for those who reflect Jesus, who said, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find in me rest for your souls. Here's an inspiration. I reckon Priscilla and Aquila were pretty refreshing, relaxing, enlivening people to be around. I reckon when you spent time with Priscilla and Aquila, you just felt better. That's serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's being Christ-like. Just having that about you, which doesn't strive for me, and is happy to provide a home and a safe place and a balm to the soul, because that's what Jesus calls us to do. You may feel you're too ordinary to be important to God, just a background person, but breathe it in. While you're working away, you've no idea who's God's going to bring across your path, who, which Pauls and Apollos you're going to be helping along the way. And even if you only ever make really good tents, whatever your tents are, you know what? Every time you do that, God goes, that's brilliant. Oh, I love that's going on the fridge. <laughs> and, and what else could, more could we want out of life than to know that our tents are on God's fridge? That's not too many metaphors. <laughs> But to know that everything we do for him, which maybe nobody else has seen, yeah, yeah, my kid did that. My precious child did that. And you can't want more than that. If you want more than that, you want less than that. If you're not satisfied with that, what you want is less. So, Priscilla and Aquila are blessed to be a blessing. That's the other thing. We are blessed people. I don't think anyone can say we're not blessed people. We have a God who loves us and a Christ who died for us. If nothing else, if you can claim nothing else. But let's face it, all of us have a lot more than that or else we wouldn't be sat here this morning. We are blessed, but we are blessed to be a blessing. 
These two are taught by Paul to understand more about God. They sat, I'm sure, over their workbench. I'm sure they sat uh, and chatted. They listened to Paul talking in the synagogue. They probably talked in the evenings over a glass of, not glass, a cup of wine. Uh, while the oil lamps burnt down, they sort of natted and picked little bits of hair out of their fingers and, you know, with the cracks and the splits and they kind of, you know, passed us the camel grease, you know, and just talked about Jesus together. They're blessing, they're, they're soaking up, they're being inspired by what Paul is telling them. So they build up this source, this knowledge, this sense of who God is and God on their hands. And then when Paul moves on from Corinth, they go with him. And we don't really know why. It doesn't say why they went, but they did. They chose to go with him and they went to Ephesus. And it says there that Paul reasoned with the Jews. He tried to explain the gospel to the Jews. And after a little while, he then had to move on. And the Jews there said, well, will you stay a bit longer and talk to us a bit more? But he had to go. So he went. But Priscilla and Aquila didn't. They stayed. Again, we don't really know why, but I'm sure that whatever else they did, they would have talked to the Jews that were there about what they'd heard Paul say. I think it's fair to say that they probably stayed on and talked more to the Jews about what Paul had talked to them about. They passed on what the Lord had given them through their conversation with Paul. Paul had to go, but they stayed on and talked to these people more. They tend and water those seeds. And again, they just settled down again. These two in Ephesus, they settle down. They've already come from Rome to Corinth. Now they're in Ephesus. We don't know where they were before Rome because he started in Pontus. So he moves about this bloke. But the two of them just settle down and do what they do. They get involved in the synagogue. They start making tents. And they settle in Ephesus. And then in Acts 24, Apollos arrives. And you always come around, because he's that kind of guy, is Apollos. He is learned and dynamic and brilliant and he's a talker and he's an arguer and he's learned and he's from Alexandria which means he would have come across a lot of philosophy and a lot of thinking and he's a real fireball. I love the way um, it, it says that he vigorously refuted the Jews. That word vigorously is fully stretched. It's the word in, in Greek that we get our eutonos. It's where we get our word tension from. He's an absolutely zinging, buzzing donkey on the edge of a man. You know, he's kind of... It's a, I always think of him a bit like sort of John Lennox and Kingsley Armstrong combined. You know, it's kind of... He's just... If there'd been a YouTube in those days, you'd have had, you know, you'd have had hundreds of Apollos videos. He's, he's that kind of guy. And yet, Priscilla and Aquila, they listen to him and they say, yeah, but come, come for tea. Because we think there's some things we ought to tell you. We've heard some stuff that you don't seem to have yet. And they invite him. They serve him. They pass on what they've got. They give him hospitality, first of all. He's just turned up in a new place. They give him hospitality and a home and a bit of coes. But they also, it says, teach him the way of God more adequately. The Greek there is the word akribos, which means with exactness or with the very pinnacle, let me get this right, of accuracy down to the finest detail. They kind of go into the nitty-gritty of theology and and stuff with him. They pass on what Paul has given them, what they've learned along the way. And they just hone it and and tweak it. And I love that. They are not afraid of his learning. They're not afraid of the fact that he seems so confident and so bold. They are quite happy to pass on what they've got. So let's be inspired. You know, some of us have got a lifetime of experience. We've learned a lot along the way. Let's not be afraid to pass that on. Some of us have just seen it all for the first time and we're buzzing with it. Let's not be afraid to share that. Let's pass on what the Lord has given us. Let's share what we've heard in other places. Let's be open to each other. And I think that's really important with Apollos. 
this great learned buzzing man who's you know grown up in a combination of libraries and stages and arguing and discussing and debating he's not afraid to learn from unlikely sources and he's not afraid to learn from a female tent maker and I think that's really important. It brings us to one of the most important aspects of Priscilla and Aquila's legacy about which there is reams of comment and debate and discussion. If you want to get into the, the whole question of Priscilla and Aquila's co-ministry, there is a lot to read. They are, for the record, Priscilla and Aquila four times and Aquila and Priscilla twice. But they're always together. They don't appear in the Bible anywhere when they aren't together. And they also appear, for those of you who want the references, in Romans 16, 3 to 4, in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and 2 Timothy 4, 19. And that covers a period of about 15 to 20 years. 2 Timothy 4 is the last thing Paul wrote. It's right at the end of his life. 15 to 20 years, when they crop up every now and again, they just appear. Often it's down to Paul sending greetings to or from Priscilla and Aquila and the church that meets in their house. They work together. They serve together. They are consistent over this period of time. They're consistent in their partnership of marriage. And they're consistent in their partnership with the church. Their involvement with the church. Wherever they end up, they get moved around all over the place. You can see from the letters, whether it's to them or from them, they move around. But they are consistent all the way through. And they serve God and his church together. And that's incredibly important. See, It is fair to say that this idea of a woman in a teaching, leading role within the church is a big theological problem for some people. The idea of a woman in a leading role over men, the idea of a woman standing here doing this, is a big theological problem for some Christians. The view that Prisca and all women down the ages shouldn't be in leadership over men or of churches and shouldn't preach is one which I have heard argued strongly by people who have got to that point carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully. And I have to respect that process and those people. But I do profoundly disagree with it. See, I don't believe Scripture says that, taken as a whole. You can pick your verses. But I don't believe that's what Scripture says. You can argue with me later. But more than that, and this is where I want to inspire the ladies particularly, and and the gentlemen maybe to do a, I don't know, anyway. I think we have seen in this church self-evident examples of what God is doing. Ruth Rice, Kath Livesey, Ali Bolton, Kate Coleman, Chrissy Perillo, and the many women who serve in our church week in, week out. We have seen the Spirit of God stand where I am standing, doing what I am doing, and change this church because the Word of God came out of their mouths. Now, I don't think you can watch what God is doing and say, that shouldn't be happening. I'm sorry, but God sometimes does what we aren't expecting and we have to adjust our thinking to what God does, not try and constrain God to our misunderstandings. That's my belief. And I think it's really important. I really feel there's a word here for that the ladies of our church, the women of our church, you see I'm struggling with the right word there, but you have to forgive me. These are all examples of God using women to bring his word. Preaching, teaching, apostolic leadership, prophecy, enabling... These are all things that we have seen and experienced here. The Living Rooms Project was something we we kind of knew we should do something with, but we had no idea where we were going until God turned up in the body of a woman with mental problems who told us. And it went, oh, yes, that's right. That's the voice of God. Ali Bolton stood here a few weeks ago talking about how we should reach the new housing estates. And it was the voice of God. 
It made sense. It was right. It was biblical. It was the voice of God. It was the anointed word of God. Kath Livesey, we've been trying to work out how do we hear God properly? How do we properly and responsibly handle prophecy and the prophetic gifts in this church? And Kath Livesey has time and time again brought the word of God to those of us who are seeking to do that. This is not the feminism of modern extreme feminism. This is not feminism. This is not replacing a patriarchy with a matriarchy. This is equivalence and equality and partnership. You know, is it a Priscilla and Aquila or Aquila and Priscilla? Well, who cares? You know, does she win four to two? That's just petty and ridiculous. They are a partnership that reflects that original order of God from Genesis 2 where it talks about God making mankind. Male and female, he created them. There is something about that togetherness, that oneness of the male and female, which reflects God's nature. They're a team and a unit, and they are indivisible in their ministry, their teaching, their life doing, their working, their serving, and their hosting. They're a team. And I know we don't talk about this very much, but God gives us a physical illustration of that oneness, which we can certainly see and experience within a happy and healthy marriage. And it is, of course, the joy of lasagna. That was where you were going to, lasagna, right? I have a lasagna. You see, lasagna is is a powerful theological truth. I don't know whether this is still warm. I I, I did try to make sure it would be. Just two ticks. It's only a baby one. Okay, would anyone like some? Come on, quick. Let's have a couple of people come come and try with some lasagna. I should have said it's a meat lasagna. I know, sounds crackers, doesn't it? The point is this, with the lasagna, those of you who are post-vegetarianists, that is to say, those of you who like your vegetables digested by an animal first, or those of you who are pre-vegetarians, who like to take your vegetables directly, we're all vegetarians, really, I always like to think. You can have a lasagna, Okay. There is something in a a tomato sauce and some white sauce or cheese sauce, depending on how you do it. And there is some pasta. Now, the question is this. Which is the most important, the mince or the white sauce, the cheese sauce? It doesn't make any difference. You see, the fact is, if you take take either away, you haven't got a lasagna. What these guys have got is, is lasagna. They haven't got a pot of mince and a pot of sauce. They've got a lasagna, and you experience the different flavors and the different textures and the different elements as a whole facilitated by the pasta in between them, what you get is a plate of lasagna. You don't get two pots and a thing and a bit of dry pasta to chew on. That's not how it works. It's a whole. And that is the picture that we see here with Priscilla and Aquila. They are a whole. When God uses Priscilla and Aquila, he doesn't give people a bowl of Priscilla mince and a bowl of Aquila sauce. He gives them Priscilla and Aquila lasagna. And that's nourishing and helpful and wonderful because they need the lasagna. They don't need a bit of this and a bit of that, okay? And we need to get this in our heads because this is about the non-preeminence within these kind of relationships. We need to have lasagna marriages where the two are happy to work together and bring their different flavors and colors and elements together. We need lasagna eldership. We need lasagna friendships. If in your friendships you're fighting for preeminence, you're missing it. We need lasagna ministry teams where we work together, bringing our own little bits and flavors together. We need lasagna street angels and the living rooms has got to be a lasagna ministry. 
If you try and go into the living rooms project, for example, and say, well, there's all these elements going into it, as long as everybody knows it's really a mince thing. It won't work because it won't be the lasagna God's trying to cook. Okay, enough lasagna, Phil. (laughs) How is the lasagna, by the way? Is it all right? Great, there you go. Excellent. Yeah, Susanna and I have a lasagna marriage. I I do the mince and she does the sauce. (laughs) It's an awesome marriage, an awesome lasagna anyway. Okay. (laughs) So, whether you're married or not, you know, whatever your status in life, that's not what this is about. We can all be inspired to give ourselves wholeheartedly to Christ-centered relationships, Christ-centered partnerships that bring all the flavors of the kingdom to bear in one place at the same time. And that's what we're looking to do. They traveled and hosted. They led churches in their home. They worked alongside Paul as tent makers. They taught Paul and Apollos. And then it says in Romans 16, they laid down their lives for Paul. Interesting. Romans 16. Paul says, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them and also the church that meets in their house. See, we've painted the picture so far, I have, painted the picture so far of these kind of quiet background people who get on with their jobs and get on with the thing and serve when the opportunity comes and they do what God gives them to do. But there's a point, Paul says, somewhere in the reach of the 15 to 20 years where, and we don't know where, They literally, the Bible says, put their necks on the line. There was a point at which these two ordinary quiet people said, actually, you know what, leave him, take me. And that obviously reflects their love for Paul. But really, it says so much about where they're at. Let's be inspired that here are a couple of ordinary people who, when the time came, suddenly said, you know what, take me. Let him go. There is that heroic, phenomenal, heroic spirit rises up within them. And they put their, literally the Bible says, necks on the line. And Paul remembers that years later. The Lord Jesus Christ is their model. The one who put his life on the line for them. And at some point in their ministry, their co-ministry, they put their lives. He didn't push her forward, (laughs) take her. And he didn't step up and say, no dear, I'll take this one. They put their lives on the line. In those heroic moments. In John 21, Jesus, when he's reinstating Peter, says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus gives him three opportunities. He says to him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. Three times. And each time he says it, Jesus gives him a commission. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And in the end, he says, follow me. And the implication is even unto death. And you might think that, to take Rob's point from a couple of weeks ago, that Peter's a bit first division for us. He's there with Jesus right in front of him. He's Peter, for goodness sake. Maybe that's a little bit first division, but Priscilla and Aquila are just like us. They're just ordinary people, and yet with the Holy Spirit living in them, they work together to serve God in every way, in humility, in partnership, with sacrificial devotion, with heroic courage, quiet background work, in teaching, leading, traveling wherever and whatever we can look at them with the inspiration of the holy spirit and say as for their life so for mine i can do that i can do that i can be like that with the holy spirit living inside me i could serve my lord jesus like that i can't imagine putting my life on the line but you know what i'm prepared to believe that the time would come and i would do it because the spirit would rise within me somebody could come in somebody new could come in and i'd be happy to invite them for a meal and talk about my faith I could do that. 
I could be at work and just be Christ to the guys around me. I could do that. I could be in my family and just be a refreshing presence in my family, in my church. I could try not to be vexatious, not to wind people up. I could just try and be Christ. I could do that. This is the inspiration. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you are married, whether you're not, we can give ourselves into these relationships and be inspired by what Priscilla and Aquila achieved, seeking only to add our flavors to that lasagna that God is putting together to feed and to serve the people he loves out there. So, last question. Have you got your breath back? Has that inspired you? Let's just take a minute to breathe in the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that you see us at all times. Thank you that you see through us when we're pushing ourselves forward or we're doing it wrong. Thank you that you understand us when we're frightened, when we've been displaced. Thank you that you can use us at all times and in all situations. Thank you that you use each one of us in powerful ways, not because we are anything, but because you are everything. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you will make us into a great lasagna, nourishing and tasty and exciting and interesting. Help us, Lord, to commit what we have into that process of mixing and cooking. Lord, help us to accept your approval. Help us not to shy away from what you have done for us. Help us to be confident, to give what we have without worry and without fear. Lord, we commit ourselves now to going out and walking with you to your praise and glory. Amen.